Hello and welcome to ASMR Tirar de Huello. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today, we want to make sure you know how much we appreciate you. Thank you for listening and being a part of our podcast family. If you enjoy what we do, please take a moment to share your favorite episode with someone. It really does help our podcast grow. Hello, and welcome back. Last week, we were intrigued by a clue left by a known serial killer who wanted to lure us back to Denman Island in British Columbia. I dealt with two, not one, two serial killers in the Denman Island area a long time ago. The one who was captured last week at the movie theater watching Wicked Wicked served his time in the United States and then ended up serving the rest of his time in Canada for his crimes there. He was out on bond. No, not bond. Not bail. He was out on probation. I get these things mixed up in my head. And he was out on good behavior after serving 22 years of a sentence for the murder of several women in the Denman Island area. He was only ever charged and convicted on one of those murders and only had one life sentence to serve of 25 years. But it appears the Canadian penal system let him out early for good behavior and for the fact that he had aged quite a bit. He always watched movies and inserted himself in them. Which brings me back to today. A long time ago, there was another serial killer in Denman Island. He captured myself, a young Native American who was in my care. He was going to college. And I was tutoring him and mentoring this young man. And we were captured by this serial killer. He had several young ladies in his grip of terror, tied up in the same cabin with us. What he didn't know was the young man that I was mentoring was also in the middle of the night, affected by the uh, 
curse, if you will, or the blessing, however you want to look at it, being able to turn into a werewolf. Yes, I was strapped down, tied down in the cabin next to a man who was about to turn into a werewolf. I cataloged and recorded this adventure. It was called Werewolf versus Serial Killer, and it was file number six. You can find a link for it below if you'd like to review that file. It's been transferred over to audio if you'd like to listen to it instead of reading it. Episode 6, Werewolf versus Serial Killer. And it didn't go well for the serial killer, and thankfully all of his victims that he had kidnapped survived the ordeal. He did not. They made a documentary about it, an odd, strange Canadian science fiction show. And our current serial killer saw that show and inserted himself in it and thought he was on Denman Island. He was the victim of the werewolf and that the evil Dr. Andrew Michaels subjected him to torture at the hands of this creature of the night. Just like Wicked Wicked, he thought he was the killer in the movie. He lured us out to British Columbia to a warehouse near Denman Island. My men and I searching the grounds. I almost regretted leaving Camp ASMR effectively unguarded leaving in the absence of Christopher and his recent silliness stalking some of the guests we were left leaving Marvin and my receptionist in charge of the camp with the remaining counselors there to help winterize and close the camp down for the season Usually the security team doubles to help winterize and shut down the camp, but because of the urgency in locating this threat from a serial killer loose in such a quiet place like Denman Island, we, we all felt the right thing to do was to go and try to silence this person's movements before he killed again. He had already scared the Sasquatch community and they sent someone who knew me to warn me of this man's danger to the society there. I was grateful and we helped transport the female Sasquatch and her young child back to British Columbia so that they were safeguarded and not harmed in their travels. It's a long way to walk, even for a primate known for having 
a long stride and big feet. They really feared the serial killer. He was doing strange things, introducing strange creatures and fauna to the area, trying to poison the water, they told me, trying to poison the land. I couldn't quite understand, but he had introduced some kind of reptile, some kind of beast to the area that wasn't native to it, and it was frightening to them. It, it scared them. They feared it. I almost thought they were talking about a Nile crocodile, but it, it didn't sound like a crocodile. I wasn't sure what they were referring to. But now as my team enters the basement of this warehouse, I think I'm becoming aware. We walked, literally, into a trap. That's right. Uberman, Dr. Andrew Michaels, time traveler, jack of all trades, astrobiologist, veteran of several wars and countless battles in between, with the crack team of security personnel trained by the United States government to the highest level. We walked right into a trap. We walked down into the basement of a warehouse and tripped a wire that allowed large metal doors to slide down over every exit, over every window. Water began to flood in to the basement area. It was a huge basement, almost the size of a football field, with columns and small rooms and cement block areas. And on one far side, where the water was leaking out of a dark, dank, smelly tank of water, large American alligators there must have been 15 or 20 of them in that tank, lashing, thrashing, a small, portable television screen slid down from the sky, the ceiling, not the sky, and a projector launched a pre-recorded DVD. It was an announcement from our friend, the serial killer. And he was only so overjoyed that if we were seeing this recording, that it meant we had fallen into his trap. A combination of saw, he told us. No way out, no way out, doctor. You're trapped. But never satisfied with the outcome in the Saw movies. He wanted to pull from one of his favorite horror movies, Crawl, from 2018. Crawl 
was a movie about a woman being trapped in a basement of a house with alligators attacking from all sides. He loved the idea of hungry, voracious, relentless alligators cutting my team down. Weapons or not. The men who were with me were well armed. But against the numbers we were facing, it would be hard pressed of any team to survive. The alligators were already entering the water level. Up to our hips, they were able to slide from their holding tank into the open waters of the basement. The smells were putrid, the water unclean, and the alligators were extremely hungry and angry and wound up. The only thing they didn't have from any good spy thriller was a laser on their head, but they did have a device strapped to their heads. I think that was what was making them so aggressive, so angry. I was very nervous about it and asked one of my men if it was possible to take a shot and shoot the device off of one of the alligator's heads. They tried and ended up wounding the creature. They just moved too quickly in the water and some of them kept their heads right below the depth of the water and there is a little bit of a refraction so the shots weren't true and did miss. I was troubled by this and upset. I didn't want him to kill the animal. But upon wounding it, we released it to death in a peaceful, as peaceful as way as possible. I didn't want the animal to be suffering. We formed up in a square, knowing that as long as we stayed together, the animals wouldn't be able to penetrate, and we could fend them off and possibly not have to kill any more. But we were also facing another problem. As the water rose, it would be hard to keep yourself balanced to get a good shot in. We had to figure this thing out soon. And we also had to figure a way out. Because eventually we would drown. And that wasn't a solution either. We just couldn't live in this environment for that long a period. The water was already up to above our hips. And we were starting to become buoyant. We realized there might be a way out. The trip wire that sealed the main door led up to a gear drive. The men were able, standing one on top of the other, to reach the gear drive that lowered the door. They could crank the door up ever so slightly, backing it up one 
click at a time. It took so long, though, and a lot of energy, and they had to use one of their weapons to do it, eventually breaking the butt of their rifle. We looked around, and we fashioned a tool, and we were able to crank up a few more notches. This did allow the door to rise, but even the three or four clicks of the gear only raised the door slightly. If we could get it up enough that the men could get underneath it, we could possibly lift it. We didn't know, though, so we had to proceed with our procedure while the rest of the men staved off the alligator attack. The video kept playing, and our our uh, serial killer let out a roar I've never heard a human being make before this wasn't pre-recorded he was watching us live and he was angry he was afraid we were going to escape we weren't playing by his rules he was furious he wanted us to kill the alligators for some reason. And that's when we realized, looking at the one we had murdered, that it had rolled over, belly up, and it had stitches across its bottom. And a fluid was leaking from it, now that it was dead. If we killed the alligators, it would release a vicious, poisonous fluid into the waters that would kill us. He had it all planned out. What little was seeping from the one we killed, only one, was enough to make some men vomit, become ill. It wasn't enough to kill us, but it was enough to start making some of us sick. We were in deep trouble. The men clicked and clacked the door up a couple more degrees where one man could barely slide his fingers under the door. He tried to chalk it with his gun, his weapon, so that in case the door failed, we'd still have that little bit of room there. And believe it or not, it was working. We were possibly going to be able to escape, but we couldn't kill any more of the alligators, and they were coming in closer and closer, the water now up almost to our armpits. It was very hard for the men to work on the gear drive, and soon they wouldn't be able to because a man wouldn't be able to stand underwater for long while the other man had climbed up on his shoulders. So we were running out of time. And that's when our killer let out with his rest of his story, trying to distract us, trying to confuse us. He pulled out a long machete and a knife and said, I'm watching you live. Do you know where I'm at? I'm at your camp, Dr. Andrew Michaels. That's right, he said. I'm at your precious camp, ASMR. I've cut all the power cables. All the communication devices are shut down. I'm using a dampening field to prevent them calling out with cell phones and there are traps in all the major 
exits from the camp. I'm here to carry out another movie. I'm here to carry out Friday the 13th. That's right, Dr. Andrew Michaels. I'm going to be Jason Voorhees in his prime and I'm going to kill all of your friends and co-workers at your camp ASMR one by one in the most vicious fashion possible. And no matter if you escape or not, you'll never make it here in time to stop me. The police can't get to me. The roads are all blocked by the time those idiots reach this camp all of your loved ones here, all your employees, all of your counselors will be dead, and I will take and relish killing your receptionist most of all. <laughs> I looked over at the men and said, we have to double time, we got to get out of here, and they cranked the gear up a little more. I said, we'll see about that. We'll see about that, and I will get... I promise you I will have my revenge if you kill my people. The serial killer kept laughing, and the water reached the projector screen and shorted out right then, which was probably a good thing. It dropped the feed to his cameras and allowed us the privacy we needed to get the hell out of there. The alligators were closing in, and the men had had to shoot two of them. Their stomachs began to emit this poisonous, vicious chemical, and the men were starting to hack and cough. One man threw up. They were going to get too sick to even swim if this kept up. I told the men to shoot the ceiling when the alligators got too close instead of shooting at them, instead of hitting them, and knock pieces of tile and concrete down that would scare them back. This method worked, and the men held them off but said we were going to run out of ammo soon. They just didn't bring that much to capture one man. We were able to get our fingers just barely under the door. We pulled up on it, but the gear drive was holding it. I said, look, have you ever done something like this where you pushed on a gear? When you do, if you can keep it going, if you can start it rolling, and we push up at the same time, it might roll backwards, and we can hold it up. We planned it out, and three of us were able to get underneath the door with our fingers. The men clicked it, we pushed. Click, push, we have to do it at the same time. Click and push, it actually went up a little more. We could get our whole fists underneath the door. I told the men, get ready, we have to do it. One, two, three. Clicked, and we pushed and as they clicked it, it clicked and clicked and clicked and clicked and clicked and clicked and started spinning backwards. We kept pushing, and the door rolled all the way back up until it was up to over our heads, and we held it there. The weight of that metal door was incredible. We could barely hold it on, hold on to it. I begged one of the men to jump down from the gear drive or jam the gear drive. We can't hold it for long. And one of the men rolled a piece of rope around the gear drive and jammed it in place. 
that gave us just enough time for the three of us to take the gun that we had nearby and jam it into the groove that the metal door came down. This would at least protect us. If the door came down, it wouldn't come all the way down, only the length of the weapon. So it wouldn't decapitate somebody or jam them or cut them in half. Everybody jumped down. We grabbed our sick and weakened members, pulled everybody back. Right then, three very large American alligators, probably 12 to 15 feet long each, charged towards the men as they were turning their backs, trying to get up the steps and get out. The men opened fire with the last of their ammunition, blasting the animals, and two of them burst like a bomb open, the contents of their stomach spilling out the way it was meant to be. An errant shot around, one round, hit their stomach and exploded like a bomb. The gases up in the air like mustard gas, mixing with the waters, though you could see what the idea was behind his poisonous attack. The last of us left the basement, and I told the men to just come on out, leave it the way it is, but don't leave that weapon behind. One of my men reached down to pull the weapon from the gear drive, and his arm was bitten by an alligator. It slammed his head into the door and was pulling him down into the water. Several of the security staff were able to hit, punch, kick at the animal until it finally let go of the man's arm. It was completely broken and destroyed. He was going to need major medical attention. One of the men quickly pulled his belt off and began to tourniquet the arm while others rolled and wrapped it up. The gases from the basement were escaping towards us. We had to evacuate the building, which we did in good time. Once we got outside of the building where our cell phones once more worked, we were able to call for help, and we got medical and police there immediately. This wasn't just a trap by a madman. This was an ecological disaster. Now I understood what the Bigfoot creature was talking about. This gas he was putting all over, and these creatures he was releasing all over the British Columbia Puget Sound area would have to be delicately captured and gathered up, or this toxic fumes and gas would be released and kill people all over the two states. Knowing all we knew, we gave all the information, and my team said that they would stay behind to help not only clean up, but capture the rest of the creatures. I told the man whose arm was shattered that we would do everything we could to restore his arm, and that we would do everything we could to help him recover. I didn't have much time to talk. I had to get down to the airport right away, soaking wet in the back of a police cruiser. I drove as quickly as I could to a local naval airport and got on a flight back to Ohio. I didn't have a lot of time to spare. I had to get back to 
camp ASMR as quickly as possible, though I had contacted the local sheriff. I was afraid to put those men in danger, and they, in turn, were afraid to enter the camp without backup. A team was being assembled, and this would take several hours, about the same amount of time it would take me to, con to make and finish the flight from the Seattle area all the way back to Ohio. Sadly, that time was might have been all the killer needed to carry out his Friday the 13th fantasy on my friends and family. The only hope I had was that Marvin would be smart enough to keep everybody together and use their strength of numbers to protect them. And if Marvin failed, we always knew we could count on the receptionist. She's a brave, young, little lady, not much of a fighter. But when it comes to protecting her family and friends, she can be quite vicious. I had to rely on those people to keep everyone alive until we could assemble a team and safely get in there to help them. I was against the clock. This was a terrible situation to be in, facing a mastermind who might have combined two other movies with Friday the 13th and we could be walking into a trap of biblical proportions. That might have been his plan all along, getting us to enter the camp and have devices and traps set up to kill us on our way in, only to find out he was never there. But it was a chance I would have to take to rescue my friends. Join me next week to see the outcome. And I hope and pray Marvin can stay alive until then. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huello. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuello at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.